Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ladies and gentlemen, I am on tour right now. Live comedy is back. I'm going across the country and New Zealand in 2022. And I want to see you there. I want to make you laugh. I want to make you smile. And I, I want to offend you. Head to isaacbutterfield.com forward slash tickets right now okay that's where you need to go get your tickets they are selling out fast live stand-up comedy is back the buttsman is back and i am absolutely pumped to come to your part of the world and to this day i can't return to my homeland because I am what's called wajibul qatl, which means that, you know, they can kill me legally because I have blasphemed by saying Le- I'm no legally, longer. Legally. Legally. Legally, I am a blasphemer because I'm no longer a practicing Muslim. I stopped being a Muslim. And that's part of the legal system in Pakistan. Wow. Um, it happens all the time. I hear I'm chat on the noise. Move too quick, can't stop for the talking. I hear I'm chat with the boys. Man, so tough, but man's keep walking. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Cancel Now Podcast. My name is Isaac Butterfield and this is Bluey Nielsen. Josh Nielsen, how you doing? Big dick. Cool, mate. Good to be here, oh, as always. Beautiful, What's mate. Mate, this is, a, this is a heavy podcast coming up. Not this our usual uh, dicks and all that sort of stuff. Talking about doodles and farts and what we normally do. Doodles and farts and farts in the jar. Now, mate, um, it's, it's a topic that a lot of people talk about, racism in Australia. And uh, that's why I thought right now would be a great opportunity to show the newest addition to the background. <laughs> We're talking about racism. It's this. Ah, now for those of you listening, this is just looks like a knife, but it's a um, big knife. It is a big knife. It's actually, uh, and this makes sense for those of you who know the background. We have a American military helmet from World War Two. We have an Australian, and we have a German one. We also have a uh, a. What's it called? A bloody a Marines knife from World War Two. Sorry, they're all from World War Two, and uh, the new edition. And this comes from Mark, who's an absolute legend. He's part of the Patreon. This is he sent us the Australian uh, World War Two helmet. What a legend! This is made in 1937. This is a German. That is terrifying, isn't it? Holy fuck! A German bayonet. Now it looks solid, like very heavy. It is very heavy. So this was made in 1937. It's got a 1937 mark on it, and Jesus. it's sort of a. It's a new addition to the, um, to the the uh, arsenal, the arsenal <laughs> in the back. Just just in case Putin decides to take me on in this studio, we've got it all in here. But I um I wasn't going to show this in this episode because people are like, oh, it's a, it's a Nazi. Well, yeah, it is, but it also goes into a a, a large re- you know uh, repertoire of not repertoire, but a, a large collection, um, collection of, of of military memorabilia. So that's very interesting. Thank you, Mark. 
I was actually going on a big American talk show a couple of weeks ago. That they ended up getting canned for uh, various reasons. A lordy, a Bruce Lordy reckons it was just uh, uh, Mr. Phil who runs it. Um, maybe just gave it the kibosh because he knew I was talking mad shit. You reckon? Maybe they, they knew what was coming. I and think they, so. Can we say who it was? Do, yeah, it was Doctor Phil. Was, um, you were going to go on Doctor Phil. I was supposed to go on Doctor Phil if you, if you didn't know, and um, <laughs> that would have been very very interesting. That would have been fucking great. But um, I was doing the the pre not the pre record, but like the um sound check with the producer of Dr. Phil two days before. And I set up in this studio here and I had the camera there and they were filming at the background. And there was the German helmet was where the American one was. So from the shot, it just looked like I had a a fucking Nazi helmet behind me. Context is everything. And so you reckon reckon they maybe canned it? Because of that. No, no, I said to the dude, I said, okay, let me just pan the camera. There's an entire fucking thing We've behind everything here. here. It's it's every major country except, for, well, the UK is not in there yet and there's no Russian helmet. That would be pretty cool too. Um, I said, mate, that's uh, that's part of like a, a World War II collection. There's, there's quite, a bit, <laughs> quite a bit going on there. You shouldn't have said anything. It would be remiss of me not to have a, a German helmet. Otherwise, that's obviously the biggest part of the World War II. Um, and, and you know, when this podcast comes out, obviously uh, the Russians have uh, oh, turned up uninvited um, yeah, into the happening. Ukraine. It's and I tell you what, my eyes are on someone else this week. Germany. Why? I think it's fair to be racist towards Germans after what's happened in the last, you know, century and a bit. Oh, I'm so ignorant with all of it. I've got no idea. Why Why are Russia in the Ukraine at the moment? Because the Ukraine was part of the USSR. Yes. Right? So they're taking it back. And it, it, he wants it, it, it became... Wants it back. Putin wants... It's like Putin's been kicked... He's been broken up with and he wants he wants it back. Baby, come back. Putin's so lost without you. I know you were... And... Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I, I don't know. So... I, 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 on the way here, I stopped for some snacks because I was very hungry. Some cigarettes. Stopped at, no, no, no. I'm off the bungers. I stopped at my local IGA, uh, supporting local, and got some chips. <laughs> and I wanted some Twiggy sticks from the deli. And this bloke just saddles up next to me. Only two of us at the deli. And I start... And the lady got me spicy ones instead of mild. Oh, no. And I need mild because I'm... Okay. I've got a very soft mouth. Yes. And, uh, yes, you do. And the, I said, oh, so I'm really sorry about pain. Can I have the mild ones? And the bloke just starts talking next to me. Oh, you'll go no good when you got to go over to Russia. <laughs> and I was like, he was like fat and like mentally ill, I'm assuming. Yes, very nice. And he's like- He was uh, shopping at IGA. Yeah, I was, yeah, that's where we go. That's where. And he's, uh, he's going, yeah, fuck. Uh, China's going to take Taiwan next. And I was like, mate, I just want my fucking Twiggy sticks. So like, go uh, home. He goes, yeah. Yeah, anyway, we'll all be in uniform before you know it. And I was like... I mean, there's always that You're potential. giving this a fair bit of thought, mate. It, like, it probably won't happen. And you'll hear in the media a lot over the next six months or so that it will happen. Um, or, or also, knows? it may... Like, who knows? But um, you'll find that particularly with ScoMo and the Liberal Party here in Australia, yeah. that and they will do it and so will the Biden administration. Yeah. They'll kick up a big stink and they'll say, it's going to happen, it's going to happen because you won't lose office if there's a war on. Yeah, and I, I noticed the, again, I, I pay little to no attention to any of this, but, the, you know, you get the sound bites when you've got the radio on at work and whatever and ScoMo's latest pluggy was somewhere because the election's coming up, isn't it? Is there an election soon? In the next six months or Yeah, something. whatever, and yeah. he's going, you know, his big thing was like, you're safe with us. He was saying, like, we'll keep this country safe. We have, we always will. And then this, exactly, they're just going to play on this going forward. Because um, everyone's tired of COVID. They thought COVID would take them through to the next election and it won't. Yeah, of course Because there's no masks now. There's no check-ins. And no one's cared for fucking months. months. And anyway. isn't it hilarious that what it took for people not to give a shit about COVID was oh. a fucking war. It's... But anyway. this, is, this is why I pay no attention to it, mate. Because yeah, yeah. I went to dinner with my poor mum last night and they just watched the news yeah. and... 
and everything scares them. She looks so tired. And I was like, and then I mentioned something just in jest about the invasion. Like, no, <laughs> but no, but like, do you know what I mean? Just off the hand comment. And she went, oh, I know. Oh, I know. And I was like, mum, like, don't worry about it. It's not mm. like, it's unless they're here, if they're coming here, it's different. Like, it's going to affect what petrol prices. Yeah. Immediately for us, it's petrol prices. But if even you've if you've got it, crypto and stocks, they're going to take, they're going like, to dip it, they'll come back. But even back with like, petrol, like, even if it didn't affect it, the, the talk of it affecting it, the petrol companies just go, oh, fucking send it up, baby. But this shit happens all the time. Like, it happens at school. Like, you know. Like, well, they also, the Russians also evaded, invaded the Ukraine in 2014. This and, shit and, happens and, every day. And Ukraine became an independent country, uh, 94, I think it was. And now Putin's just like, nah, mate. And there's also some rebel held areas. And I'm certainly not the. Um, you know, the the right person to talk about it. I don't know anything about Russian geopolitical problems with fucking <laughs> Ukraine, believe it or not. This um, is the, not the podcast to get your information from. This stuff. No. You're in the wrong place. No. Um, cancel your subscription now if that's where you want to get it from. But, yeah, um, it's full on over there at the moment. And my mate, uh, Matt Williams, who um, I'll just check what his Instagram is. You should follow him because he's fucking crazy. He flew to the Ukraine, mind you. Recently? Flew to the Ukraine. Is he ex-military? He is ex-military. Okay. He's only twenty-five, but his um his Instagram is Willie.beating.cancer. He has an incurable brain tumor. Oh. So is probably why he's going over there fucking guns blazing. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. So he's a really good guy and he's over he just flew over there and he's doing these reports. He had a report yesterday. We we're gonna have him on the podcast the other night, but we couldn't get the podcast out until next week. Okay. Couldn't so, turn around, yeah. And he was of the opinion um that basically uh yeah, no, they probably won't invade. And he wouldn't look very silly. Wouldn't he look silly? For the, for the, it's for the best that we didn't get so that So I'm glad we didn't yet. get it done. He would have had egg on his face. Or a bullet. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, potentially. <laughs> poor prick. Yeah. But no, I, I've been messaging him. Um, is he okay? Is he safe? He's alive he at this point. Um, is he safe where he is? We're recording this on uh, Friday. So he is not safe where he is. Yeah, he's in. Yeah. Last night, he's in the Ukraine and he's in the middle of a war. Uh, but you know, as you said, uh, uh, ex military man, this is normal for him. You know, he is. Has he been deployed? He's been deployed in Afghanistan before. He's used to not knowing where the the army or the 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 opposition's coming from. That is type he of stuff. Armed? He's not armed. He's got a good beard though. Oh, so that may save him. Yeah, and he's got red know. hair, so he can't keep it. Can't keep a good thing down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm worried about him, and I don't know him that well, but I am worried about him. I was messaging him the other night. Um, and he was basically just like, yeah, mate, um, I won't be able to do this time for the podcast. I, I got stuck at a checkpoint. They thought I was a spy. Uh, and then the yeah, next night he was like. Of course they think he was a spy. What the fuck's he doing there? Well, he's a journalist. Yeah, is he? Oh. Well, well now he's. Well, okay, so this is what he's doing. He's going over there to report on it. So he's a journalist. Okay. You don't have to go to fucking journalism school to be. every anyone, anyone who went to journalism school is working at the fucking Daily Mail following Married at First Sight yeah. stars around. This over there doing the real deal real shit. work yeah he mate there was this video on tiktok yesterday and it was him i reckon i was oh that's fucking matt and uh he's talking to his mate who's over there with and this this fucking cruise missile just goes over their head and i was showing claire i'm like oh my god this is insane wow well, but yeah no um it's oh, full on fuck i hope he's all right so today's podcast is with sammy and sammy is a comedian who was born in pakistan traveled over here uh, a very interesting guy and probably someone interesting to talk to about racism in Australia. He's worked on uh, a radio national program about that. He had some uh, – he, he originally with the radio national – and I'll ask him about that. He should probably talk about it. But he originally went to go and talk to the full, like, full-on like racists and stuff. And then he sort of, sort of thought, nah, I'll get people who have been called it or, or people assume they are or whatever and have a chat with them. And I had a really interesting conversation with him about – this is probably going back a year – 
about the um, Christchurch joke that I did on stage and a couple of other other things that, you know, people call me or whatever or claim that I am racist or whatever. Uh, and it was a good convo and he was very, very welcoming and he's a nice guy. So I thought I'd invite him on the show and uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the great man, Sammy Sarr. Sammy, welcome to the show. How you doing, brother? Good, good. Yourself? Very good, very good. What's happening? This Thanks. is this this is Bluey, by the way. Josh Nielsen. Pleasure. Nice to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. Absolutely. Yeah. What's what's happening? Where are you in the world? I am currently in Melbourne, Australia. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm in the the under Dictator Dan as Dictator <laughs> outside the state calls him. But yeah, just you know, I'm I'm in Melbourne, and it is uh it is a what day is it today? Friday, I think. Friday. I have no idea. I have no sense of time anymore. How's um how has Melbourne been with all the lockdowns and the has the comedy scene been during all of this? I know the guys at the Comics Lounge haven't been operating much over mm-hmm. the past couple of years, um, but uh, everything's opening back up now, obviously. But how's it Yay. been? It's really weird. So everything is opening back up and people are going back out again. But there's like a self-imposed lockdown that's been happening for a while now because of Omicron. So like a lot of people I know just weren't going to go out until they got the booster. And once they got the booster, people were like, okay, now I can go out and stuff. So that side happening. And then other weird things were people were going out, but not in, you know, not to places where there'd be too many other people. So it's, it's almost like um, institutionalization. That Remember uh, Shawshank Redemption? Yes. When he goes, oh, you've been institutionalized. Like yeah. Melburnians have been institutionalized. And everyone, so they- everyone is Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and hof- yeah, hof- yeah, exactly. Hopefully they don't eat. They don't meet Brooks's end. Yeah, that that's, was that would be that's grim. bad. That's that would be good. very grim. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I am, I am feeding a raven with a with, from a tapeworm in my pocket. But yeah, no. you know. <laughs> but like you know, I've been doing gigs recently because I'm trying to get in shape for the comedy festival. And you go there, and audiences, we all of us notice this. Audiences aren't laughing as much. Yeah. Even though they're there, because people are still uncomfortable with being in public spaces, or there's a level of anxiety. It's a weird thing. Melbourne kind of went through something very few other places did, I think. Yeah, and the and I'm, I mean, I'm, I, you may or may not see this over the comedy festival. I've seen with ticket sales, people are uh, sporadically buying ticket sales. Yeah. They're, they're, particularly when I tour, people will buy over the last couple of days. They're like, well, we don't know if he's going to make it. We've got no idea. And I don't want to have my money tied up with a ticketing agency for the next foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're concerned about that. But it also, uh, are crowds in Melbourne wearing masks at shows? Not in the show. Once it's, it's, okay. it's you know, it's a weird thing. Everyone's paranoid about Omicron, but the moment they get a glass or a bottle in their hand, they're like, "Yeah, it's all it, good. You know, <laughs> yeah. God can take me now." And so, <laughs> so, there is that weird cavalier attitude. It's I, you know, I guess it's just we're living with COVID or whatever the hell that phrase is, and we're all figuring it out still. And yeah, and I think it's one of those things where. You know, like ticket sales are low, but my I have friends doing Adelaide right now, and they're all at the Adelaide Fringe, and they're all saying the same thing over there that they, you know, ticket sales only happen on the day at yep. the last minute, and Adelaide didn't go through anything that Melbourne did. So no. you know, you never really know. Well, we 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 both had it, um, Josh and I, a couple of oh. months ago. Uh, had had the old Rona, and we went through it, and and sort of we were fine. Who gave it to whom? <laughs> Uh, it was it was freakish. We got the it that timing. week. We I was in Queensland. Yeah, we you, he caught uh, it in Queensland, yeah. and I caught it here where we are in Newcastle, uh, and we both had it at the exact same time. Okay, and it was yeah. it was fine. Um, I tried to to prove a point. I was like, okay, I'm going to see how my lung capacity is is uh, affected. Uh, so I ran every day, 
and I, I was fine. I felt a bit sick. You know, I wasn't feeling, I wasn't feeling great. I wasn't having a yeah. great old time, but um, didn't really affect me. I don't, I don't think it affected you too yeah, much. I, I, I was quite out of breath for the first couple of days. Like I'd, yep. t- I'd still take the dog for a walk. We lived in some bushland, so yeah. it was it was easy to sort of still get outside and get in the sun and stuff. But I, I was sort of out of breath. Um, for like two or three days, and that was yeah, had a bit yeah. of a fever the first night, and that was it. And now I'm just throwing caution to the wind. It shows I'm yeah, because you've got it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'm meeting everyone now. Yep, yeah. absolutely. I'm meeting everyone after the show. We had some COVID marshals in uh in Victoria last weekend, and they had left. And then I did the meet and greet after the show, and there was you know 400 people, and I shook hands with everyone and all that type of stuff. So the term I'm, Invincible's been thrown around I'm, I'm, fairly loosely. I'm tempting fate. That's what. I'm doing. I'm doing my best to try and catch it again. But um, to do, I got a show in Perth coming up, and, and I'm pretty sure I have to get the booster, regardless of antibody levels. Um, they're over there, yeah, they're yeah. just like you just got to get it. So um, now I got the booster. I, I had like when I got AstraZeneca, I got it last year, and I had a bad reaction. I had one really? of those reactions oh, really? where like you know, like you're, like your whole body's shaking, and and you like I genuinely was more sick after the AstraZeneca than I've ever been with anything else I've ever had to the shit. point where I thought for sure, like, oh shit, they're right. The vaccine's a fucking fraud and I'm going to die now. <laughs> and oh, then fuck. the next morning I'm like, okay, it's fine. Never mind. Um, and, um, and then I got the booster and nothing. Like it was barely, I didn't feel it, no side effects and everything. So, you know, I, again, I haven't had it yet, so I don't have that peace of mind, which comes with that. But a part of me is also like, you know, what am I going to do? I have to teach, I teach classes at university. I've got, you know, comedy festival prep to come up. I'm just going to do what I got to do. You and have then to if live. it happens, it happens. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, you, and I mean, there are people, and this is the whole thing with my opinion on the boosters and stuff. If you think that your life is at threat, get it, do it, go for it, you know, yeah, yeah. be safe, wear a mask, do all that type of stuff. And if you need to just get on with your life, then do that, you know. So it's not it's not mandatory in New South Wales? Uh, as far as not yet the okay. the, the vaccine the, bo- the, the, booster, the, booster. the booster no not at this point I mean um, maybe it will be I heard something but, the other day about they mentioned you might be considered not up to date but also yeah. if you're not if you're not boosted it's six gonna... months it disappears right yeah, the same, yeah, yeah. The, the, after the second jab so it's been six months for most people. So wouldn't everyone be considered not jabbed at all if they haven't oh, got a yeah. booster? I don't know. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Who knows? Yeah, I, d- yeah. I don't think anyone knows. But um, anyway. Fucking sick of talking about fucking COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also part of it because every comedian's got a bit about COVID still or about lockdown because yeah. we fucking went through it. What what else and, is there to talk about? Like, yeah. right. <laughs> apart yeah. from the war, it and was up up until <laughs> Russia invaded yesterday. There was nothing else. Oh to talk Oh my about. god! Yesterday, I did a spot yesterday at Comedy Republic, and I opened with just ten minutes on Ukraine because I was like, "Thank God, there's something new to talk about." You know, um, thank God there's a war. Yes, oh, I there know. Was- <laughs> There was, uh, we were talking just before we, we jumped on, we did a bit of a preamble and we're talking about this guy, um, Matt Williams, his name is. He was, uh, he won mm-hmm. an Australian of the Year or Young Australian of the Year, something like that, but he served in the military. He's only 25. Uh, and his whole, um, his whole thing at the moment is he's over in the, he flew to the Ukraine to, he was oh. really interested in the, in what was happening and the geopolitical, um, uh, issues between both countries and he flew over there and now he's just reporting. He's not a journalist, but he is a journalist now. Um, he just flew over there. He's vlogging everything and reporting every single day. Um, he has a lot of experience in the military. He fought in Afghanistan okay. uh, and that type of stuff. So he's not just the fucking me doing it. He ha- he sort of yeah, knows yeah. what he's doing. You would be uh, terrible. I would, I would be terrified. Say, um, 
No, there's a guy, remember, like, who, who just some random American dude who just took, like, I think uh, a katana blade and flew to Afghanistan to kill Bin Laden <laughs> or something. Like, he's not That's like the most that, American thing. That is an American thing. Yeah, yeah. He's just got to, he's got to kill Bill Katana Blade and yeah. he's ready yeah, to throw yeah. down. <laughs> Man, As it's um, better than that. Yeah. It's it's yeah, it's scary. I'm watching his um his videos and he's just walking along with his mate yesterday and uh and a cruise missile flies over their head and, and they both know what it is being uh yeah. you know military dudes and uh, full on, full on scary. There was a dude who said the other day that fifty thousand civilians may die in the next seven days. So that's that's pretty full on shit. But um yeah, to go from COVID to that. Exciting. Exciting. Look, it's a change of pace, at least. You know, we're grateful for that. Like, and exactly. that's all I, yeah. A change People, is as good as a holiday, they say. Yeah. yeah really, it, it is, you know. Yeah. How good it's would it Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, go ahead. If, if being a journalist, it would be beautiful. Finally, I get to report on something else that I know nothing about. Every war correspondent right now is just like, thank God, I'm yeah. so sick to death of speaking to epidemiologists. Like, you know, <laughs> they can finally go back out there, put on that flak jacket, put a cigarette pack in there, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> not stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been, I've, trust me, I've been, I've been, uh, I've reported from like, you know, conflict zones and stuff. There's an adrenaline rush that you miss that you never, nothing can ever replace that. What, where have you reported from? I was in Pakistan in 2000. I mean, it's, I started my journalism in Pakistan. I was um, uh, there during 2006 and uh, 2009 when um, uh, there was like the, the war on terror kind of blowback started. And we had like massive terror attacks every day in Karachi. And um, my first big one was uh, there was an attack on like a former prime minister, Benazir Bhutto. She then got assassinated a few months later, but her convoy and I was the first reporter on the scene. It was like a whole fucked up carnage kind of oh, experience wow. and then you know you go back the next day and you know you go I went home and I was like covered in blood and body parts that I'd seen and all that and my go back to work the next day and my boss like good job now grab a camera and get back out with there's been another attack so wow Jesus it's a very different kind of worldview when you have that um, addiction and for me it was a, a realization that I want to get out of this I don't want to work in in journalism if it means frontline journalism I'd rather be behind the scenes but uh, I know a lot of people who are like fuck you Yes, that is the life, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 got to be rare that in a, a you know a role with your reporter to have that sense of event adventure and and um, adrenaline running through your system yeah, yeah. to be in a war zone and reporting on it. That's got to be one of those things you probably um, take to to take with you when you retire and you think back on those days and like, wow, I really experienced that. That's got to be the pinnacle of of someone who really chases that shit. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, I know a lot of like senior war correspondents and stuff who retired and they're just, they hate retirement. Like yeah. they're, just, they're I, pumping out memoirs and shit. A lot of them end up going into consultancy for that reason. Like they'll end up joining intelligence agencies or things like that, think tanks, because they're like, fuck, I still want to get back out there. I can guarantee you there are more like foreign journalists flying into Ukraine right now than they are refugees getting out of Ukraine. Yeah, wow. I, I I knew nothing of Pakistan until a few years ago. I was talking to a dude, and he said he was from Pakistan. And I started watching a guy. He's a travel dude, and he goes over to different countries and basically has a budget every single day and goes nice. to different places. And and I was really really interested because he talked about um this the dude who I met. He talked about how his whole family was there, and he he's left. He's come to Australia, mm -hmm. uh, yada yada yada. And I was like, what is Pakistan like? So I I looked, and actually a beautiful place. A nice yeah, yeah. place full of lovely yeah. people. For, for those of also you who- Also batshit crazy people. <laughs> like, it's like any place. For yeah. sure. Like, like anywhere. Like yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Um, can you, first of all, for those of you who don't know, 
who you are. Could you yeah. introduce yourself, where you're from? And, oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> and, pa- and perhaps um, give us a bit of a detail about where you grew up. Um, all right. So, yeah, um, my name is Sammy Shah, um, and I am a comedian and a journalist and a writer. Uh, I guess those are the three things I kind of do. Um, I was born in Karachi, Pakistan, which is a city of 26 million people, uh, which is larger than the population it's of Australia. Australia. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and they all, you know, the joke I used to do is 26 million people and they all hate you. Like that's basically the, <laughs> that's the energy there, you know, and, but it's a crazy, it's like, it's, imagine a city like that. It never sleeps. It's always on. It's a wild place. It's lots of energy and excitement and art scene is crazy and food and creativity and everything, but also crime, corruption, misery, because how do you police a city of 26 million people? It's not possible. Yeah, and so, um, you know, that's the kind of place I grew up in and, and I used to, um, I, I started doing stand-up comedy in 2005 in Pakistan because I just wanted to. I just love comedy. I, I, you know, I grew up watching Eddie Murphy's Raw and Eddie Murphy's Delirious, like those two specials. And I was like, one day I was like, I want to do this as well. So I started doing, and there's no improv comedy scene or anything there. There's no open mics. It was just me. So I used to, I booked an auditorium. I just wrote an hour uh, and I practiced it at home for six months. And then I went on stage and I did it. Wow. Um, yeah, it was insane. Now I think back, I'm like, what the hell is wrong? That's bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you, an idiot? But yeah, at the time, I didn't know any better. I didn't know you're supposed to have open mics and you, you know, work on seven minutes at a time. So I started doing stand-up comedy there and I was, you know, that was my thing. And then I also got a job as a journalist because I really, I really love journalism and stuff. And so um, I worked first uh, uh, as a music journalist and an arts journalist, and then moved over to uh, setting up a 24 hour news channel and becoming a senior news producer, covering terror attacks and, and, you know, hardcore terrorism and everything. Basically the, there's a period in Pakistan when we had a dictator named Musharraf and his kind of um, reign as dictator was ending and the democratic government was taking over and the war on terror was kind of, you know, really at its worst. And so we had a lot of bad stuff happening. And so that was like an exciting time to be a journalist. Um, you saw a lot of things, you did a lot of things and, and I did all of that stuff. And, um, and then finally, Around 2012, I migrated to Australia because uh, I'd been I'd pissed off too many people. I used to do a a, a news satire TV show in Pakistan, um, and in that I made fun of a lot of politicians. I made fun of a lot of the religious parties, and they, I started getting death threats regularly. And you know, one day I got a bullet in the mailbox, and I'm like, "That's a Fuck, that's on. a sign." Yeah, yeah. yeah so we on. we applied for immigration. Immigration takes um like two to three years to process when you're in Pakistan. So then you're just hoping that they don't get to you before the immigration gets back Dude, um, that's but, terrifying yeah. yes yes sorry go but you know you at the 2012 i got to australia but i got a weird visa i got a regional state sponsored visa and what it says is it says i can live in australia but i have to spend four years in a country town in western australia you poor so thing you poor I, thing it, it is the joke i used to always do is it makes you feel like you never left a third world country yeah. in the first place. <laughs> it's, it's easing you into the system basically <laughs> where, where, did you, where did you move to when you came to australia uh how well do you know wa um there's I know. a Kalgoorlie and Perth. Yeah. Okay, so between Kalgoorlie and Perth is a town called Northam. Right, okay. you nail it. Nailed it, on, nailed it. On the, on the Great Eastern Highway, it's about two hours from Nor- from Perth and, and it's a small, like literally farming town and it used to be an industrial town. The industrial sites died, like a few thousand people at best. And I ended up there. Like wow. just 
freaking nothing. There was a detention center on the outskirts of town full of refugees and asylum nice. seekers. Um, the first time I went to Woolies when I moved into town, cops were called because they thought I had escaped from the detention center. <laughs> <laughs> so, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is like day two in the town of Northern. <laughs> Who, who in the government decided, yeah, that's where we should send Sabby. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's yeah. Just throw him out there. <laughs> throw him to the wolves. Here's the thing, though. Like, okay, I ended up spending four years in that town. And I used to drive to Perth every day. It'd be a two-hour drive. I'd do comedy in Perth and then drive back. Like, sort of four-hour round trip just to do, like, 15 minutes on stage. Wow. But I, I kind of fell in love with um, a lot of the parts of that lifestyle because small-town life is slow. It's got mm. its own pace. It's also for an immigrant it's a deep dive into australia yeah. you know you re- you learn the accent you you know i'm sorry about like ocker bogans i like i need i know the value of a meat pie i know how to drive a ute i you know i worked in my friend's farm i ran a harvester shit like that from a journalist from pakistan it's a very big change mm. um so it was a good deep dive into australia i think if i moved straight to melbourne I never would have understood Australia and as well as I think I do now. Uh, so I was grateful for it, honestly, in the long run. Um, I guess, but, f- 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 sorry, Sammy, if, no, no. if you're trying to move to a country and and try to become a part of the culture and understand it, how people, you know, how they tick or why, why they do the things they do, throwing yourself into the deep end is probably a good way to to learn how, how the yeah. country moves and what happens. I guess if you moved straight to a capital city, you got everyone who's walking around, they're not talking to anyone, they're not listening. Um, you might find yourself only being surrounded by people who know your background, exactly. your story, and then you never really, not become a part of the country, you're always a part of the country, but you never really understand what's happening and it's like if you move schools with some with one of your friends, you only ever stay with that person, or yeah. you only ever stay oh, yeah, with the people. Yeah. Or when people do the expat, like when people move to the UK to live and work, and they just end up living in chair houses in with, other Aussies. with other Aussies. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, whereas you could go, you never understand it. Like, yeah, it's not as immersive and like probably if authentic. I, if I moved did. to Karachi with you. And we just hung out together. Yeah. Like, we'd, we'd come home and be like, yeah. You'd be, you'd be dead very yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, his beard would save him. I, I, I'd, be, I'd be in massive yeah, trouble. Yeah, yeah. That's why I get away with, that's why I get away with Muslim jokes. So I got the beard, yeah, yeah, I fit yeah, right yeah, in. Exactly. It's, it's beautiful. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I find that so interesting. Obviously, it would find, uh, there would be some tough moments with people, oh, as yeah. you said, um, looking at you, you're brown, you're not from here, that type of shit. Is that something you face pretty regularly? Yeah, I mean, look, there was, um, there was like, it's a thing where yes, there was racism, but obviously there would be racism. These are this is a country town in the in the middle of WA. If there wasn't racism, I'd be like, what the hell's wrong with them? Yeah. Something's wrong here. What? Yeah, it's a trap. They're too accepting. You know, do you like think it, do you think it would be the same if if the roles were reversed and um, some white bogan dude from the yeah, middle of Western of Australia course. moved? Yeah. There's um there's a, a guy um I used to do so um uh, when I moved to Melbourne a few years later I used to do uh, breakfast radio I, for a couple of years I got a job doing breakfast radio on the ABC and um, every morning like when I do doing this there'd be people texting into the radio show going oh if I move to Pakistan will I get a radio show and I used to al- <laughs> I used to always tell them yes are you kidding me like no one moves to Pakistan they will freak the fuck out if a white guy gets up and moves this is a true story we. Have had a white guy named George 
from England. <laughs> George, George. George. George from England. He married a Pakistani woman. So he moved to Pakistan when I was a teenager or in my 20s. He moved to Pakistan. We gave him a TV show. The whole oh. country was like, fucking follow this guy around. Let's see yeah. what the white man has. To he just walked around the country being white. And we were like, this is the best thing we've ever seen. That's the best. Like, that's the so, best. So, you know, there is anywhere you go, there's going to be a curiosity when you're from another place. And, and look, honestly, to this day, some of my closest friends are the people I made friends with over there. You know, mm. it's, it's guys who are like, I get very defensive of Bogans. Because I'm like, you know what? Bogans were more opening, open-hearted to me when I moved to country WA than a lot of the hipsters in Melbourne have ever been. Um, yeah. So there is that, that, that aspect to it as well. Yes, it was hard. Yes, there was tough times. Yes, there was some acts of racism that were horrific. But, you know, this happened to me four days ago. I was in South Yarra in Melbourne, the poshest neighborhood in South Yarra. I'd been invited to film an anti-racism video there. And I went and, uh, to this house that they were filming in. And I'm looking up, I'm standing outside the house, looking up the address on my phone. And in the middle of the afternoon, I'm dressed in a suit, by the way. This man who's walking a dog comes up to me and he goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm just, and you know, I'm, I'm confused because I'm like, I'm just, I'm looking for the address. He's like, I know the man who lives there. He's not going to need to see you. And, and in my head, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I'm confused. So I'm like, no, he, he, I'm filming a video. I don't understand. And now, by the way, I keep saying I'm filming a video. He probably thinks I'm a porn star or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the woman who's like doing this anti-racism campaign, she comes out. She asks this guy, she's like, what's the problem? Because now she sees that he's hassling me. And this guy turns around and goes, oh, you know, we have all these suspicious Uber drivers around here all the time. I just want to make sure this guy is above board. And I'm like, dude, like, you know, so. What, like, is, people, a what is a suspicious man. Uber driver? It's just a guy who's <laughs> sitting in his car waiting, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> This guy but, looks like he's up to something. What a strange thing to say. A suspicious, but, yeah. It was this thing of like, you know, everyone will talk shit or hang shit on country towns. Like, oh, they're all racist over there. I've had way worse racism in Melbourne yeah. than I've ever had in country WA, you know, I mean, so. Obviously, there's no doubt that racism is very, very real and you experience it, maybe not on a daily basis, but regularly. Yeah. Um, nah, I don't even know if regularly. Not regularly? Like, when this guy, when, look, when I was on radio, it was a different thing. Sure. When I got, because, uh, you know, radio is a high profile gig. It was ABC yeah. radio. So, anyway, it's a thing. That was a different thing. But, like, when this happened the other day, I was like, I was actually like, oh, put a, put a spring in my step. Because I was like, oh, good old racism. I'm system. back. <laughs> I'm back, baby. It's been a while. You oh, know? That was refreshing. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I was saying this this afternoon to my partner, Claire. I was like, like, there's no doubt that genuine racists exist and they just hate people who don't look like them. I, I get right. that. But I feel like a lot of the racism that people call out is just genuine shit people. And they're the same people who would be sexist, the same people who would be homophobic, be transphobic, all those type of people are the exact same people uh, and they're just bad people. Like it's yeah. not so much like their they're one thing is racing. They're just bad people. Like if you have – it's the same in, with, with Karachi, 26 million people. If, if one in yeah, a thousand people are people insane, there. yeah, exactly. then you're going to have so many people. And it's the same in this country. There's just less people. Um, yeah. There's just shit people everywhere you go and there's no way – and I, that's what I often think about with how do we combat racism. If you've got shit people, what do you do? Well, it's that thing of like, yeah, there's, there's the inadvertent stuff which is, you know, accidental. Some of it's just bad, like behavior that you don't realize is 
comes across as racist because you know it just hasn't been told to you yet or you know you just you know like it's i always like comparing it to like misogyny stuff you know there's so much shit which like as a guy especially as a pakistani guy who grew up in pakistan man there's so much misogyny within me that i've had to ungrind yeah 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 i mean just basic stuff you know i grew up in a country where this statement that a woman has to wear a hijab because if she doesn't wear a hijab she's like a lollipop covered with ants yeah. is just a standard argument that people put forward thinking yeah look at how rational and logical i'm being yeah. right so there's a lot of stuff you have to unlearn and there's a lot of stuff which you go i'm trying my best like just give me a cut me some slack mm. and then there's you know so racism i think is the same i've never met i met maybe a few people who were maliciously racist mm. um and then i've met a lot of people who are just you know lovely or nice and say the wrong thing because they don't know is the wrong thing to say a bit of ignorance almost yeah yeah exactly and that's fine i mean i say the wrong thing about many other issues as well you know there's like if let's say i'm not racist i'm not misogynist tomorrow i'll be ableist the day after i'll be there's always something we're fucking up on yeah. the quest i think is most people if you ask them don't want to hurt other people mm. and if you tell them you've hurt someone they will either say oh how can i not do this ever again or oh shit i'm so sorry i didn't realize i was doing that mm-hmm. and i think we there's there's two responsibilities here one is the responsibility of the person who might have done the hurt the other is the responsibility of the person who did get hurt but now can either say well fuck you you're a racist you're a piece of shit and i hope you die or can just go yeah you know it was a mistake i completely understand um no harm no foul this is why it's a it's a thing you shouldn't do and that's it you know and most people i think do that most yeah. of the people i've met are happy to have the conversation are interested in learning you know don't want to be a bad person and even if it's by mistake um the problem is when we look at like the conversations happening in media and stuff we focus on the outliers who are like nah fuck you i am a racist mm-hmm. and you know it's a, if you look at the news you'll think melbourne is awash with neo nazi anti vaxxers i mean i like i'd have to really look for one to find one Isn't even it? the oh, i thought it was yeah, sorry, even the even the vaccine protest i went to like i went to cover it for a news thing it was the, the most multicultural beautiful protest i've ever seen there were yeah. people from every community there i was like this is lovely like ignorance is universal you know so i'm <laughs> i don't know i'm i'm very i did a whole documentary like you know uh, for radio national on race and racism and i think coming out of it i i think i was more sensitive to racism before i did it and i'm less so now Okay. I think my perspective on on race and racism has changed a lot since so, then. What why why did you invite me on that show? So the reason I invited you was because I wanted to talk to someone who had been accused of racism. But I think and I thought at the time and I think so now isn't racist at all, but the accusation was taking something that can, that in context isn't racist but out of context can sound racist and that was the point i was trying to make is that a lot of times the accusations we throw at people of your racist because you said x isn't taking into context why they said the thing they said in your case you're doing a stand up show you've done an hour of jokes probably all of them shocking on different levels because jokes rely on a certain methodology of shock and rhythm and all that one of those jokes then suddenly ends up on twitter and everyone is like you're a monster and you're a horrendous person and all those things um i want to know what i know what the effect is on people when they experience racism like you know when i've experienced racism 
and sometimes some in some of it's been really egregious it's a weird thing it's a weird feeling i'm used to fighting for myself i'm used to not backing down and yet when someone was racist towards me i cowered i was surprised by how small it made me feel i want to know what happens when someone accuses you of racism how does mm. that make you feel as well because that is an experience that is interesting to me as well and and that's what i think i got from you again you know, i think the conversation we had was you explaining your point of view your perspective and then what you went through when that happened yeah and it was it was a good conversation and i i love talking to people because i often get from people oh people should hear you or listen to you or, or meet you before they sort of judge you like man after that Christchurch joke I did and it's a horrible joke and that's the point that's the whole sort of thing with yeah. it um, it's not designed for people to go oh that was so clever it's like it's it's shock it's a jump scare um, and it worked it worked all over the world I did that in um, six different countries that joke uh, but man when I was copying the, the racism stuff and really copying it like you know, in the neighborhood I live in now, like, you know, there's a there's an African dude over the road, there's a Pakistani gentleman down the road, there's an Indian dude up the road who I say hello to every day. We talk every day, almost every day. And I was just like, this isn't me. Like, this is this is crazy. You're hearing from all these people constantly that you hate people who happen to be a different color to you. And you're like, well, no, that's not. And then you have to explain yourself. And did it make you quite, like, did it make you look in the, like, not that you would, but like question yourself at all? Yeah. yeah. Did it make yeah. you... No, go, it, oh shit am I like no, when, you're, it, when you're reading that kind of stuff because I know who I am I know exactly who I am it's the same with the misogyny stuff like my best friend the person I live with and, and spend every moment with is a female I thought you I, met me no well, I, I only see you on, <laughs> I only see you on Fridays and, and, and I, I know that you know if I have a daughter I, I want the best for her I want her to tell her that there's you can do anything in this world don't let anyone hold you back this and that and the other and um, when it comes to race I just I, I don't know I respect other cultures I just don't Really, I know people say, "Oh, I don't see color," and that's usually bullshit. That's usually what. A, yeah. But I don't know. I just, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I just don't. And and you know, I I genuinely care not to make people feel pain. And this is something that I I changed my tone on when it came to the twenty sixth of January Australia Day, and I got a bit of heat from it from uh, people who have subscribed to my YouTube channel. I used to be like, "No, nah, don't change it." Yada, yada, yada. And I was a young dude, you know, when I said that. And then when I got older, I was like, listen, if this is making your grandmother, whose grandmother or auntie was taken in the stolen generation, if this is making her cry every year, fuck me. Change it. You know, if that's yeah. genuinely hurtful. Like, who am I to say that, no, every year you need to suffer with this? Um, like, I, 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 know I, I think, yeah, I think part of that is, uh, and I find that stuff interesting because it's the negotiation society has to have with itself. And mm. every country has to have these, right? Um, so Pakistan, for example, has 1971, Pakistan went to war with, uh, with it, it, it used to be two countries. It used to be East, well, one country in two parts, East Pakistan, West Pakistan. Um, I choose this way, East Pakistan, West Pakistan. And then, um, and they went to war and um, out of that war, Bangladesh was formed, right? Okay. And, and, and in that war, Pakistan, the part that I'm from, um, committed atrocities. I mean, horrific stuff. It, some of the largest mass rapes in history were committed then. Um, some of the most brutal killings of intellectuals were killing, committed then, pogroms basically. Just absolutely horrific things. The country that I grew up in has lied to itself every day about that war. It is seen as a war of defense, not as a war of, of aggression. And it is seen um, as, as, as evil propaganda when you try pointing out the truth of what we did to other people. Um, and I understand why, because every country needs its own mythology, 
right? To believe we're the best, we didn't do anything bad. But I think we're now at that point where it's interesting that people are going, hang on, what happens if we actually acknowledge the mistakes as well as the good stuff? You know, what if, what if we're actually historically accurate? Um, what changes? So I think like for Australia, January 26th, um, if there's a portion of the country that believes it should change, again, we don't even know how large that portion is. Sometimes people say, you know, you do one survey and they're like 76% of Australians think January 26 should change. Then you do another survey and they'd be like 12% think January 26 should change. Like there's still that whole debate. Maybe it'll come down to a referendum, maybe it never will. But we know it's not something that was set in stone when Captain Cook got off the ship. He didn't say, you know, 200 and something Today years is the from day. now. Yeah. Right, exactly. We know these are things that we decided as a country, that's going to be Australia Day. So we know we can change it because mm. I've always felt the, fed, the day we became a federation, way more appropriate, way more interesting, way more historically unifying for the idea of Australia than the arrival of Captain Cook. So there's, but to get there, there's going to be people who are going to be freaking out and there are going to be people on each side yelling at each other. Um, I think it's the people in the middle who actually do live with these things and negotiate them on a more civil level. They'll make the decision in the end, uh, yeah, but I, it'll be an interesting one. And I think it's important to to stay in that middle and actually have the discussion with yourself and, and work out, yeah. okay, why why are we pro? Why are we against this? So what made you change your mind? Like, you know, like, like you said, there was a moment of introspection there. Because I feel like originally you see it as a – because it always comes from the same place. It comes from the people who are the woke, right, the ones who are like, we need this to, and this and this. And, you, and then people were feeling like, okay, these people – don't want Australia to celebrate a day. And I feel I feel Australia should have a, a day. Yeah, every country should, yeah. Every country should, where they celebrate the beautiful people that are around them. And it doesn't you don't have to celebrate everyone that's ever lived in the country or everyone who will ever live in the country. You celebrate your people, your tribe, your group, whoever that yeah. may be. And I think originally that was an attack on this is before people were like, hey, change it to M at May 8, mate. Um, it was just like, this is not the day. We shouldn't celebrate on this day. People didn't understand why. People say, you need to change it now or you're a racist. Yeah. All of a sudden, people are like, you know, as soon as you put someone up against the wall, their initial reaction to come back is with um, aggression, if you will, and in this case, aggressively being staunch against the change. Um, for me, I was just young. Um, I didn't really – and I still I still have a, have a thought like, you know – the day federation that's obviously the date that you go to you know uh, yeah. that was the the 1st of january wasn't it something like that um and you should have a day where you can celebrate the country celebrate the people as i said before i think people are just like oh people are coming after us and they're attacking us and i'm a racist yeah. because of this it's the whole thing when it's similar to when people say white people are this, white people are that. And I know that I've said a lot of the whole thing, like it's it's okay to be white and all that type of stuff. And when you just read the the, the headline of the video, you go, oh, this, guy, this guy's a fucking idiot. What's he talking about? But if you listen to it, it's just me just saying, listen, we all, we all know that white people do horrible shit and brown people have done horrible shit, black people have done horrible shit. We've all done horrible shit. We need to acknowledge that and at some point move forward. And I think this is why I changed my thought on January 26. Put a line in the sand where we can move forward as a country, similar to how uh, white New Zealanders and the Maori yeah. respect each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was over there and, you know, there's, there's Maori language being used and everyone respects that culture because, and I've said this before as well, because I feel like I have a, of an indigenous part of me 
yes. where I I feel I belong to this land. This is my home. This is my country. And the history of 80,000, probably 120,000, even more years, that is a part of my culture. That is a part of my heritage because they, they are the people that built this land into what it is today and it's a part of the story. And if there is a day that it severely affects people who are a part of my history, my culture, my land, all that type of stuff, then we absolutely should listen to them. And if they want to change it because it's genuine and, and because it makes people genuinely upset, then let's do it. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's not... I think- it's, Sorry. I think what's happened now is we're reaching, we've reached that point. I, I, okay, I think we're also at the tipping point where some of that's changing now. But for the last few years, it's been just everyone too polarized to the point where they're not willing yeah. to. Everyone sees uh, um, um, compromise as defeat. <clears throat> and they, they don't see it as a healthy thing that you know creates progress but they see it as any inch given is a defeat and you've lost and you've given up your cause and you're, and the bad guys have won and everyone's a bad guy. Um, and I think a large part of it has to do with the curtain, certain kind of aspect of American culture filtering down to the rest of the world, including Australia. Um, but, you know, regardless of what it is, it's a time of change, it's a time of flux and we're in that situation. But I do think right now things are changing a little bit. You see evidence of it a lot more where people are kind of sick of, the woke left and the far right. Mm. They're kind of sick of the yelling and the screaming. And, and you know, I wrote a uh, thing recently where it was an article where it was all about Twitter actually doesn't matter. The amount of people on Twitter who are actively part of the conversation are so small that most of the rest of the world doesn't give a shit. We think mm. it matters because we're on there, but we don't. None like, of that matters. It's like 5,000 mentally ill people like... Yelling oh, at each yeah. other about shit. Yeah. And like, like it's not- the, the best example is if you look at like J.K. Rowling's books, right? You'll go like, okay, J.K. Rowling is clearly cancelled because they hate her or J.K. Rowling is fighting for women and, you know, there's a whole thing. J.K. Rowling's books have not dipped in sales. <laughs> And the reason is because people like the fucking books. No yeah. one else gets, you know, my mom in Pakistan and, you know, like your daughter tomorrow when you have a child won't know about the whole controversy on J.K. Rowling. They just know the Harry Potter's fun read because they're not on Twitter and that's good. So mm. I think that's part of it as well. I mean, and that goes back to like Captain Cook, right? I said this in a video recently and I got a bit of heat, just like a couple of messages, a couple of DMs. I said, I was glad that Captain Cook came to Australia. And the reason I said that is because without him, I wouldn't exist. I mm. wouldn't be here right now. So I have to, I can be, I can say what the British did to people who lived in the lands that they stole from people or they um, moved into basically, they squatted in. Um, I can say that what they did was heinous and I can say I don't agree with it, but I have to be glad that they did it. Otherwise, I'm not here making this video. I'm not here having this conversation. We have to acknowledge history, but learn from it. I think that's the that's the big overlying factor yeah. to all of this. I think a lot, a large part of the debate right now is around both sides being disingenuous about history. Um, you know, so we've got because I I did a documentary on free speech as well prior to the one I did on race and. Um, and it was this interesting conversation I had with a um, like a doctor. I can't remember his name anymore. He's he like he's he's you know one of these people on Sky News after dark all the time. And he's a far right guy and and everything very intelligent. But you know we were talking about Winston Churchill, and he's like they call Churchill racist. And I'm like look here's the thing Churchill saved Europe. 
Definitely. I mean, he saved England. He probably, uh, I mean, unfortunately, Stalin probably had more to do saving the rest of Europe than Churchill did, but Churchill was a huge part of it. We wouldn't have England being as safe from the from the from Nazis if it wasn't for Churchill. He was an incredible man. He was a wartime leader that the world needed at that time. And also he was a racist. It's okay to say both those things. No one, that is historical accuracy. That's historical fact. He said these things. He had horrible views and opinions about black people. He had horrible, terrible views and opinions about Indians. And it wasn't even normal at the time because the people around him who worked in his staff used to be horrified by his points of view about Indians. So it was, you know, he was an outlier in that regard. And also he was a great man who saved the world possibly from Hitler. So there's all of these things that are accurate. But that guy I was telling this to, he was like, no, no. And I'm like, that is also political correctness. Mm. Political correctness is when you deny factual reality to fit your political point of view. So political correctness is, you know, people on the left saying um, Churchill was only a racist and that's his entire legacy. And political correctness is people on the right saying Churchill is only a war hero and that's his only legacy. There's, you know, one point something million dead Bengalis who have a claim to Churchill's legacy as well because of famines he goes. So that, that's what I like. That's what I, I find interesting is the historical accuracy and the struggle to figure out who gets to tell the story. Yes. And I mean, you know, you look at Churchill, he also fucked the Australians at Gallipoli as well. So it's, it's yeah, strange. Yeah, that, by the yeah. way, twice, you know, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's funny how, you know, the media or whoever portrays him as the hero that is the story that's written. And, and it's always whoever writes the history books. Of course. Um, you know, that's what becomes the truth of, of, of the day. Truth in inverted commas, yeah. Yeah, but, but that's what's happened throughout time. You know, did, did Jesus but also actually- the Sorry. The counterpoint has happened as well. So one of the things that I, I like is the fact that we all think this is all new. The woke, you know, that this whole renegotiation of who gets to tell the story is new. And it really isn't. Like in the 1960s, Howard Zinn wrote The People's History of the United States of America in the 1970s. And that book was a radical retelling of the history of America from the point of view of the working class suddenly. You know, Frederick Douglass was talking about the birth of America as a nation on the back of slavery in the 1800s. So this stuff has always been a part of it. You know, we act as if all of this is new. These negotiations, these fights, these arguments have always been a part of a mature and educated and uh, open and free society. Mm. Free speech is ugly because free speech means a lot of people got to yell at each other and can yell at each other. Mm. And that's a good thing. And I, But I worry with that because of the political correctness, how it is, that people yell at each other, but it never gets to a, a situation where it may be, you know, dwindle down to an answer or or come to a conclusion or or both groups come to a point where they go okay that sounds fair with this constant um creation of religions between political groups you know the left versus the right you're either left or you're right no one's in the middle you're not allowed to be in the middle hmm. And I just don't think that exists. I just, like, everyone... When, when did this ever happen? When did we ever have everyone collectively going, we agree? Sure, yeah. On Never. anything. Yeah. On, like, from Galileo to ancient yeah. Rome to ancient Greece. Like, that's just been... The only thing we can do is make a society where, and we can, you know, everyone should fight for this, where your freedom 
to say something I disagree with vehemently is as protected as my freedom to say something you disagree with vehemently. Yeah. That is the only thing that we all need to agree upon. The rest of it will always be ugly, will yes. always be disagreement. The, my, one of my favorite things, um, I was reading about this very recently. So do you remember the, um, the Dutch Muhammad cartoon controversy? This was yeah. in the uh, early 2000s. That was, wasn't, no, no. I was, was thinking it, of Charlie Hebdo. No. The French Charlie one? Hebdo, no, yeah. Char- Charlie Hebdo was after that. Yeah, okay. This was one, before that, no. The, right. So before that, what happened in in in, uh, in the, the Dutch kind of uh, uh, newspapers, a cartoonist drew a drawing of the Prophet Muhammad. And the local imam in that area where he drew the drawing um, got angry, raised a whole lot of ire about it. No one gave a shit. So this guy went on a tour. He basically went to the Middle East. He went to all the Middle Eastern countries and said, look what's happening over there. Look what they've drawn. Yep. He drummed up a whole thing. You know, uh, he, he put, worked hard to make the campaign go viral. Campaign went viral. It ended up in death threats. It ended up in a, um, a, d- a Dutch director and you know, free speech advocate being beheaded. It Jesus. ended up in the cartoonist who did the drawing having to go into hiding. To this day, he is in hiding and has security around him. The imam who did this whole thing, who drummed up this whole campaign and all of that stuff, he ended up being prosecuted by the Dutch government for um, uh, incitement of violence, right? And as a punishment, they do this thing there where they send you to Greenland. I didn't know this, but Greenland apparently is like a penal colony almost. Really? And And they send you there and there's schools there. They say, go there and do community service in the school. So he went to the school in the middle of nowhere in Greenland, where all he had to do was work in the school and have access to a library. And this imam went on and in the library, he read Voltaire, he read Aristotle, he read, you know, all of these different works of great literature. And he had a moment where he's like, I was 100% wrong. What the hell have I done? He completely and utterly changed his point of view. He issued public apologies to everyone whose lives he'd ruined with this work. He started a center-left democratic party. He personally met with the cartoonist and wept and apologized to him. They are now close friends working in the center-left democratic party. And that whole story is a evidence of the freedom of speech because this guy had the time and the journey to find out he was wrong. If he lived in a society where anyone gets punished for being wrong too severely, he never goes to that journey. And there was horrible loss of life and all those things as well. Unfortunately, that is also part of the world we live in. But one of the things that we live in is that free speech in the end always benefits society rather than hurts it. And that's why it's so important. And they should absolutely have the right to have the shits as the same way that they should have yeah. the right to draw the cartoon. It's, it's exactly. interesting. It's, it's hard. You say, like, he, he, him taking that journey was only because, like you say, he had the time. He was, like, in a penal colony. And I think yeah. the, part of the issue, a lot of people just don't have the time. You get bombarded. You get told you're either one side or the other. Like every aspect yeah. of the media tells you you're either, you know, you're pro or anti-vax. And they feel you're safe. You're or you're against masks. Yep. And people are just so busy; they don't have the time. They feel safe in that group too. They yeah, don't want to be attacked. Yeah, you pick a side, and, and then you just—that's it. And you're in echo chambers man, on I, social I, media and stuff. I made this video months ago. I don't even know what it was, and I got called in the same video an far-right anti-vaxer and a government shill. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like, the, the yeah, fucking right. Yeah. How the fuck did that happen? That's good. You're appealing to everyone. I'm feeling, yeah, I'm playing, playing the fence. Um, Dude, I've been called, I've been cancelled so many times. A few weeks ago on Twitter, I was called an apartheid apologist. Yeah. And, and uh, that I'm pro-Israel. And this, by the way, from a guy who literally lost his job recently because he supported, um, you know, like Gazans in doing the bombing campaign and stuff. Like, and all of these things, like, people just will always level weird shit because yeah. no one's interested in the nuance. Yeah, no yes. one's interested in the story. Um, I, like... I did a documentary on Islam in Australia. And in that documentary, this is around five years ago now, in that documentary, I talked about my apostasy, which means that when a Muslim stops being a Muslim, he's called an apostate, right? And, and I became an atheist, basically. And, um, and it happened to me years ago, I became an atheist, but I talked about it in that. That story went viral, went to Pakistan, I was basically got six months of death threats. I had to go into hiding. My comedy career never recovered because at the time when that happened, I was about to shoot my first special. I had a like massive buzz around me. I had to cancel all that shit. I've never recovered from that, like in terms of professionally. Um, and, and, and to this day, I can't return to my homeland because I am what's called vajibul qatl, which means that, you know, they can kill me legally because I have blasphemed by saying Le I'm no Legally, longer. they can kill legally. me. Legally. Legally, I am a blasphemer because I'm no longer a practicing Muslim. I stopped being a Muslim. And that's part of the legal system in Pakistan. Wow. Um, it happens all the time. And that's a thing that I have lived with. But also, there have been people who have threatened me five years ago and reached out five years later and apologized and said, we're sorry. Now that doesn't change my situation. I still can't go back, but it's interesting that people are going on a journey. Um, and the evidence of that is when the Bali bombing happened, there was um, a, a research done into, um, it's called um, de-radicalization. So de-radicalization programs with, you know, ISIS guys and all these things. And they're trying to figure out what works. And in Denmark, they came up with this model where they realized that exposure to literature works. You know, you take these guys and you show them the arts, like movies and, and, and books and, 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 you know, just great works of literature, great works of history, all these things. The more context you provide people for the world they live in, the more empathy they engender. And that's a universal experience. And it sounds idealistic, but it's hacked, has worked, you know, in research studies again and again. That's kind of yeah. cool. You see that with people who watch only Sky News or only The Project, you know, they're both very much against yeah. each other and they have their ideas and everything. They get radicalised. They, they are radicalised. <laughs> like, you know, you will see it's, it's crazy, the echo chambers that people find themselves in almost – Incidentally, and it's created by social media. It's created by the TV. It's 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 frightening to watch people go down, and particularly people you know, they go down a rabbit hole, and then they're just completely different. And you watch, you listen to their talking points, and you go, "I know what you've been watching. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. you. I saw this, or wherever on the political spectrum it may land. You know that these people have just been fed this information, and then they just basically repeat it, and that's frightening because. You don't know what someone's going to say on that particular station or from that YouTube channel or in that book, whether or not it is uh, surmountable or, or whether or not they have enough evidence to to back up what they're saying. And perhaps these people don't have the time, as you said, to find the nuance in there or they're, they're terrified to and find the nuance. That's just it. That's just it. It's the time. It's It really comes down to that again and again and again. It's the time. It's the fact that... 
I mean, there's so many things like I, because I, I try to challenge myself regularly, right? Where I'll be like, okay, these people are the ones everyone's disagreeing with. Let me see what they're saying. Um, and a lot of times I'll find, you know, okay, like I'm, I'm very leftist. I'm far leftist, I would argue, right? But that's in my personal life, in my professional life. I do my job as a journalist or as a teacher or whatever. My personal politics doesn't come into it. I was in Pakistan. I was a far leftist. I interviewed heads of the you know, leaders of the Taliban. I never once did anything different with them than I would with anyone else. I was, that's professionalism. But I try to challenge myself in my personal thinking. And Barry Weiss, I don't know if you know Barry Weiss. She's in the, the American, name. right? Yeah. Yep. So but she's she's a Jewish American woman who is a uh, uh, intellectual in America. She's very very influential in Jewish thought and things. Um, and I had basically bought into the the shorthand that people on the far left have. Oh, Barry Weiss is racist. That's it. So in my head, I was like, Oh, Barry Weiss is racist. My partner started reading a lot of Barry Weiss articles and essays and subscribed to a Substack, forwarded them on to me. And then I was like, all right, fine. I started reading it. And I was like, no, she's not a racist. She's just got a different point of view about certain things regarding critical race theory, et cetera. But she's not a racist at all. In no measure is she a racist. I bought into a shorthand. And I was disappointed myself because I should know better. But even though I work hard at this and this is the world I occupy and you know, I'm always intellectually trying to cross-examine myself I still fall into the same traps what chance do people have who are like working three jobs and busting their asses and trying to raise four kids and barely making the mortgage what chance do they have in other mm. than just getting the shorthand and hoping that it's true yeah yeah it's the headline culture it's just yeah like, that's that's the truth I trust that newspaper that's that's the truth that I'll always believe until the day I die there's really, uh, there's a really good book. It's called Powers and Thrones by Dan Jones. It's a, he's a historian. It's fucking thick. Like it's huge tome, but I just finished reading it. And he's done a retelling of the entire medieval history of the, of Europe. They're a really good job. He's done an amazingly expansive job and it's fun to read, which is very rare in, in a history book. So um, it's a really fun one. And he talks about the printing press and how when the advent of the printing press happened, the exact same stuff was happening then that we're seeing now, which is the woke. There was a woke left. There was universities that, you know, at the time that were, were sem- you know, or monasteries, I suppose, that had an influx of the wokeism movement. There was a prosecution of people from both sides. There was, there was a lot of strife. And his point was, we're seeing the exact same thing because social media to us today Mm. is as disruptive as the printing press was to them then. Um, and when he put that in context, it completely blew my mind because I was like, I'd never thought of it that way. Mm. This isn't new. This is the exact same problem we've had before. So what was, what was the outcome there? The outcome is the modern world we live in. Yeah. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of strife. There was a lot of yeah. misery. And then we ended up with countries, large chunks of Europe and stuff, which believe in freedom, which believe in democracy, which believe in all those things because they had to figure out we're living in shitty times. We're going through shitty things. What will save us? And their decisions were the right ones. They made the right decision. They chose freedom. They chose certain things. Other parts of the world haven't. Other parts of the world have chosen the strong man, the fascist leader, you know, the oppression mm-hmm. of another. So we've, we, we can go either way. I think we just have to be vigilant about which direction we end up choosing. Um, and the best way to do that is being empathetic to the other point of view. Yeah, absolutely. I think changing, not even just changing your mind, but allowing yourself to talk to different people. Yeah. Like if you you describe yourself as, as a far leftist, if if you started this podcast by saying that, people would have turned off. Yeah, and, a- and that's fine. There's been times where Jordan Peterson's the perfect example. Yeah. I just assumed Jordan Peterson was a far-right neo-Nazi. 
I still don't think that he's that interesting. I think his stuff is a little bit over um, overbaked and 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 you know. But but I understand the role he has in society of providing guidance to a lot of young men who are missing that guidance in their lives because of absent father figures and stuff. And that's a really cool thing. I know a lot of people who got their shit together because they read his book and they started working out and started cleaning their homes and started being more supportive for their partners and all that stuff. And I haven't found anything that's supportive of the far right and the neo-Nazis. I found some stuff which are not well thought out ideas on his point. But Jesus, guys, who doesn't? I've got half-baked ideas about half the things <laughs> I just said. So, he, and, and Jordan Peterson's a guy who has several books out. I think he has three or maybe four. Uh, he's a dude who's spoken on hundreds of interviews yeah. for hours. And, of course, there's going to be ideas. One that people talk about a lot is the enforce, enforced monogamy. Yeah. Um, and that's one that people talk about a lot. And I think the idea is basically it's a cultural idea of it's better to have monogamy than not and, and, and almost culture forces it. Not so much that, hey, you need to be monogamous. Right. I think that's where people get it sort of wrong with that. And I and people call me a, jo- a Jordan Peterson dick rider, and yes, yes, I am. Uh, also, a Joe, also a Joe Rogan dick rider. Yeah, I can prove it with course. the, with the, uh, the oh, Joe Rogan prayer candle that we have here. Um, but I, like I just, he, Joe Rogan's a perfect example, you know. Like yeah. I've, yeah, like I've, I've always enjoyed his podcast, and it's because I don't think Joe Rogan's a very good interviewer, but I think he gets really good guests on, yeah. and I think the yeah. he shuts up and lets the guests guests talk so well that I get to hear some amazing points of view. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to take his shit out of context just for the sake of winning some Twitter argument, go right ahead. You're missing out on a really cool cultural conversation. When Joe was getting um, cancelled the, the most recent time, he released a podcast during all of that with a dude by the name of Randall Carlson. Mm. And he is a, an architect, an, uh, sorry, a, an ancient, um, um, the word escapes me, but uh, basically look at landscapes, all that type of stuff from the ancient world and why they have become the way they have. And he talks about the Ice Age and these massive um, impacts that happen from comments, comets, et cetera. Archaeologists. And I don't know comments, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and comments. comments. And now comments. Comments. Yeah. The yeah. comments that wiped out the dinosaurs. But that entire conversation <laughs> was basically Joe asking like five questions, speaking for maybe 10 minutes on a two or three hour podcast, and this dude talking. And my thought is everyone who's bagging Joe at the moment is missing out on this crazy conversation yeah. that you would never hear about in university. Yeah. You'd never have time to read about, and you're missing out on it because you've heard that one of the people you follow with a blue check mark thinks that Joe's a racist. Yeah. yeah there's, um, he had Mehdi Hassan on recently. Yes. And that was a really interesting one for me. So I'm a political junkie, right? Like I do a news satire podcast. I've been a journalist my whole life professionally and all this stuff. So everything Mehdi Hassan was saying in that I already know or have read better experts on or something like that. It doesn't mean I'm more intelligent. It just means that's my area of interest. So that's why, you know, I was interested in that. I can't fucking fix my car to save my life. So I'm useless in many other ways. Sure. Um, but the comment section in the Mehdi Hassan interview on YouTube was people going, I didn't know this. I didn't know about the, the war in Libya. I didn't know about what Saudi Arabia and America have been doing. And so many things, which I was like, that's fascinating. He's providing people who otherwise would never have seen this with new information. And the thing is like, that really kind of turned me around Rogan was, I was thinking, he's got what, 11 million followers? Forget, okay, forget Rogan. How many followers do you have? Uh, on YouTube, 1.7. Yeah. All right. So you're 1.7 million followers on YouTube, right? If you went tomorrow 
to the ABC, to Channel 10, to Sky News, to anyone and said, I want to do a TV show where I would sit and talk to people I find interesting for an hour, uninterrupted, just whatever freewheeling conversation. They'd be like, get the fuck out. No one's yeah. going to watch that. There's no way we're doing that. It needs to be 20 minutes. It needs to be tight. It needs to be scripted. Every question, we're going to run by the guests beforehand, get their answers, no surprises, blah, blah, blah. And they will do those shows and get 20,000 viewers at best, but they have advertising money so they'll make their present to make a lot of money. Meanwhile, you've got a bigger reach. You've got to show that you get to do the way you want to do it. And the conversations are more thoughtful, nuanced, and interesting than anything you'll ever see on TV. That's the power of Joe Rogan, of you, of all these things, is that you're providing something that the media has an opportunity to do and completely walked away from. Yeah. Because they haven't understood the game changed a while ago. And that's why I feel Joe's important. It allows people to become a jack of all trades with knowledge, but a master of none. It gives everyone a bit of information about topics that you'll never find out about. Like if you want to know about um, geopolitical problems in the Ukraine, you probably there's probably a Joe Rogan podcast about that or something yeah. to do with that. But you won't be able to find someone else to talk about it for three hours that you want to listen to. Because it's so broad too, if it does light a fire under you, if an episode does light a fire or an interest under you, you, like people will watch those things and go, oh shit, and 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 it'll you know they'll go and pursue that. Yeah. It's that I think that's what's also. And, and you may not find um, a clip you've like I've seen on about Jordan Peterson. You don't like that particular one, but there's several hours of content you may enjoy or you may agree with yeah, or you absolutely. may be able to relate to. And you know he's got a very different life to you and myself and Bluey and everyone in this room. And you know he's going to have a conversation about different things and he's lived a different experience and. I just I feel like the more we listen to one another and the more we're able to take on each other's ideas and not scream at each other. It's the same with the vaccine stuff. Like I feel like because that was so controlled and you're not allowed to talk about it and doctors aren't allowed to disagree. People that that breeds distrust. Yeah. It breeds it and people are going, "Well, what is going on? What yeah. is the truth?" The fact that I can't get antibody tests in Australia. Like you're not allowed you can't be trusted with it. Yeah, yeah. You can't be trusted with it because that might breed a vaccine hesitant. Well, just let me fucking decide. They got rid of Novak Djokovic. <laughs> and they got rid of the, the Djokovic. That's disgraceful. Bring him back. I hate tennis. Um, but being able to either admit where you're wrong or find common ground when you listen to someone. There's a there's a tweet, Sammy, if I if I, if I may, um, mm-hmm. that was that you made. Oh after- boy. Uh, after <laughs> oh, shit. Is, this, is this the gotcha moment Isaac's been yeah. waiting for? We've been, we've been lulling you into a false sense of security yeah, this yeah, whole yeah. time. Right. It, it's Bring something it. that you, you said on the 5th of August. That's the eighth month, everybody, for you playing at mm-hmm. home. Um, you, this is after the, the Christchurch massacre. You said, oh. ser- seriously, every time you repost that Isaac fucker nuts video. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, he's good. You're helping him, and you're right. Uh, <laughs> he's 100% right. Uh, and then someone said, who's Isaac fucking nuts? And you said, sorry, Isaac, shit a face. Um, <laughs> and then the next one was Isaac. I had no memory of it, but come on, that's pretty fucking funny. And then drunk. <laughs> the, next one, the next one goes, Isaac, please answer your DMs. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not professional. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, But look, I will stand by the sentiment there, right? The fucking nuts and all of that stuff. I apologize. No, 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 no. Don't apologize. That's great. I am a fucking nuts. That's great. I I agree with you. 
But here's the thing. At the time, and I've said this about not just that, but about anything. So the other day, there was a whole thing on Twitter about Peter Van Onselen writing some column about something. And I, everyone was outraged. And I was like, you know what? I have never read a Peter Van Onselen column. Oh. I have never picked up the paper that he writes in. I've never read one of his columns. Why do I know this exists? Why is this like something I'm seeing all day long? Why are you providing amplification to someone that you hate, clearly? Mm. And so the point was, if the people were so angry with you, they did a really good job of helping you out and promoting your work. And, and there's a lot of people now who are smart about it and know how to kind of work that angle where they'll say something controversial let it get viral because it draws attention to them. And my disappointment is with the people yeah. who, who do this, who, you know, who, who, who promote it by getting angry and they'd be like, look at this shit and retweet. And it's like, you're an idiot or yeah. you're also being disingenuous because yeah. the person who's doing that, look at this and retweeting, they want the likes and the retweets from promoting your content. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they want to, they want the, the, the virtue that they get for being better than you. Um, so that, like, that is largely where the game is run. Calling people dumb names—that's uh, just part of my brand. Basically. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. But I do like the fact that it's literally just that, and then hey, can you check your DMs? hey? Check me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to call this podcast Isaac Fuckerface and Sammy <laughs> Sammy Shitter Nuts <laughs> if it did, if it wouldn't be censored by YouTube. But uh, man, I it does work. It, it, the, the great thing about being cancelled is people talk about you. My ticket sales go up when I get cancelled. Yeah. Followers go up. It's the best thing monetarily you can do. If you ride it, I always say this about AFL players and, and NRL players, ride it. As long as you're not like assaulting yeah. someone, yeah. which is if, often the case. If, if, which yeah. is often, it's definitely yeah. often the case. But yeah. if you say something you shouldn't have or yeah. you get caught with like, there's all these dudes getting caught with white powder, like the um, the storm, they still talk about the white powder scenario. But you, the, Just the, the, own the, it, you idiot. But the branding opportunity, because like not, not so much getting caught with cocaine, but like, Brandon Smith and that, because they, they're characters. They say stupid stuff all the time and yeah. people go like, oh, that idiot. But like, like people want to advertise their characters they're, and you know yeah. everyone's too scared to say anything yeah but, you know people love it people I, love a larrikin I, I always say this the the nrl and the afl are calling out for a conor mcgregor character who you know talks shit and backs it up yeah he, they would make so much money yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, much money absolutely. or even in the aflw or the nrlw imagine if there's just this chick who's like a a, a front rower in the nrl and a, a forward pocket i don't know i don't know anything about AFL. <laughs> <laughs> a forward backwards pocket it's yeah. just like i'm gonna smash some bitch on the weekend she would be a cult oh! hero immediately <laughs> like that taylor harris who kicked that you, footy you saw and, it with paul gallon paul gallon yeah. like he, he used to go like every origin and he'd just go like yeah i'm gonna smash I hate him i hate queensland i hate queensland yeah. People love that. I used to yeah. I used to get into big trouble at the ABC, huge trouble. I got yelled at a bunch of times at ABC management and all these things because I they find they'd make you said this on Twitter, you called someone a fuckhead on Twitter, you said something, this guy should go get <laughs> fucked on Twitter. <laughs> and they're like, delete the tweet. I'm like, no, that's who I am. Like yeah. I told you who I am before you hired me. Um, I'm not gonna change who I am after. And I don't like when I say the things I say. If I genuinely feel I fucked up, I'll apologize. If I genuinely feel like it's not that big a deal or whatever, I'm not going to apologize because my apology means nothing then. Yeah, yeah. My apology has to mean something. Um, we had, I was on this SBS panel talk show recently about like woke and cancel culture and all that stuff. And um, what's her name was there? Uh, Prue McSween. 
I know the name, yeah. Go yeah, on. she's like a, a Sydney-based, I guess, like a TV celebrity and stuff, and she or radio, I can't remember. But she's always like getting into trouble for saying things. <laughs> and um, and she says she was saying it's so annoying. They keep making me apologize, and I have to apologize, and then people get angry. And I was like, why did you apologize? Yeah, you're the one who's letting yourself down. They'll put pressure on you. You lose gigs. Fine. I fucking lost gigs because I don't want to play the game a certain way. Stand up for yourself. If you're not going to stand up for yourself, then don't complain. That was my only thing to her. And she was very, she was like shocked. She's like, no one had ever told her, don't apologize if you don't believe in the apology. She just it's, thought she had. Man, yeah. it, come, it comes from management. I was talking to a friend of mine who's in the social media space and they appeared on a particular podcast that will remain nameless because it may have been this one. And their management blew up. They're like, you can't do this. This is so dangerous. And, and it's like, no, you need to be able to think for yourself. And don't, I said, don't let your management say, you need to apologize for this. Like, yeah. If you did something wrong, go for it. Apologize, you know. Um, if you genuinely stay awake at night and thinking, no, that was incorrect. Like I, I was wrong where I said that. Yeah, or, yeah. Because people make mistakes. But the boy who cried wolf, the the... the you know, that whole movement of just apologizing every five minutes is people just don't believe it. And I don't understand why people beg for an apology as if when they get it, something changes. Like nothing changes. Because, yeah, yeah. Because there's no, I have never seen anyone's apology accepted. I have no. never seen anyone who apologized and people went, you know what? They apologize. So yeah. we accept it. Thank you for moving. You know, you learned lesson. We all can heal. Let's move on. I've never seen that happen. <laughs> all that happens is you apologize and they pass the apology and they break down the language. Like when this person said this, they meant this. Actually, look at the wording here. And it just becomes a cascading thing. So they've now made a scenario where even apologizing isn't worth it anymore. Mm. And all it is, is it's people hungry for meat. They just, yeah. they just, they just sniff blood and they want it. It's a weird thing where we're now really comfortable with bullying. Yeah. And really happy to do it and take part in it and, and, and gleefully indulge in it because yeah. we think the other side is wrong. And, and the pile on, and, and you see it on Twitter constantly. I know we've talked about Twitter quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's ground zero with this type of thing. Twitter like, sounds so shit. It, I'm but, not on Twitter. And like, it's moving it's, on to TikTok now. I made a video. Yeah, yeah. I made a video in jest, and I said uh, I find female body hair disgusting. And I just wanted to get a reaction out of people, and it worked. It got everywhere. I was invited on Dr. Phil to talk about it. That's how ridiculous the reach was. And because people were duetting it, it only came up with the start of it, which was me saying, oh, I think female body hair is disgusting. Yeah. And I went on to talk about really hairy armpits, and I don't love them. You know, whatever. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. some, chicks, some chicks don't like beards. It's fine. We're over it. Yeah. Um, and people were filthy at me there was like hundreds of thousands of views and, and and like angry comments and people like you need to apologize you hate women and i'm sitting there next to claire on the lounge going no i don't what what what, what is this <laughs> what's you, happening right now yeah i i got it was at the same time i was shooting a ghost documentary i was making i i know you make real documentaries but i make ghost ones and, <laughs> and Wait, is a ghost documentary about ghosts or it's a fake documentary no no it's a real so I, like a ghost writer no. I, I make i i make these these docos where i go out and i try and find paranormal activity we did one about the yowie as well you should check it out you see that i'm actually I, quite the documentarian dude i'm a horror writer i didn't know you did oh, Oh really? I'm down with the, yeah, I have a I have a horror novel and I write publish short stories in horror anthologies all the time. Yeah, I love horror shit. <laughs> so we we recently went up, and this will be out, I think in either next week or the week after. We went up to Brisbane, and there's this tunnel that they used to carry out all these satanic rituals in. 
It's called the Murder Tunnel, right? Apparently, a homeless dude. Not was a very killed. creative name. Not a very yeah. creative name. It's, I think there's the a few. Murder Tunnel. Which we murder can do tunnel? better, surely. <laughs> so we walk into it, and the whole story is that. So I, the, the point I was getting to was, um, I was getting all this hate about hating women, and I was at that point I was filming a documentary with uh, two ladies known as the Ghost Nanas, who we film all our docos with, the Ghost Grannies, and and, and my my fiance Claire. So I'm I'm in a car with four women or three women. And I'm, I'm getting, they're reading all this shit, having a good laugh because they, they know the real me. That was the whole point I was getting to. But this is much more interesting and important. There is um, Anne walks in and Anne runs uh, Oz Paratech. They sell like all the ghost gadgets and all that shit. <laughs> uh, what a great ad. And, uh, <laughs> and all that shit. Yeah. And um, so she puts a speaker on the ground. She says, apparently they tried to conjure the devil here and we're going to do it. And I, I was like, listen, I'm not really into that. But what she does is she plays the Lord's Prayer backwards in this dark tunnel that's about a 500 metres long yeah. or whatever it was, and she's playing it backwards. It's making my skin crawl. The lights yeah, are yeah. off. And I am I'm terrified. I'm... I'm agnostic. I don't believe in the devil. I'm open to the idea because I don't fucking know. Uh, there's a lot of weird things that happen, and I'm just like, please don't be a real <laughs> yeah. thing because it was it was terrifying. Like the worst part about it was it was in Queensland, so there's cane toads jumping on you, Ugh. and that was fucking horrifying. Yeah. But man, we did some we did some crazy things, and the 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 Yowie one was that was I genuinely thought something was going to come out in that one because. We were talking to this dude, Ron, his name was. Normal dude, completely normal. I know, Ron. He's like, you know, he'd probably be about 65 and just like he worked as a mechanic. He's retired now. And he said, yeah, I had my first encounter with a Yowie. He said, I was walking down uh, this this path and all of a sudden this seven or eight foot hairy ape walked out in front of him. And he's been normal to this point. And I'm just like, how do I not believe you? Yeah. <laughs> he then he then started saying that he thinks they're interdimensional beings and stuff like that. And then I was like, all right, Ron. So basically, <laughs> basically your point is we shouldn't worry about the culture wars, about cancel culture or anything, because the real challenge is the devil. The devil. Yes, and the that's, devil. The, that's what we really should be worried about right now. And yeah. check out the doco coming out next week. <laughs> that's um, funny. It should be good. But yeah. So, Sammy, I tell you what, brother. Um I, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate that. Thanks it, for having me. I can is, talk endlessly, so I apologize well, I'd, if I'd, I just no, wrap no, it I'd, on. I'd love to have you back on, but you must understand it is dinner time. Uh, yeah, this I have to go and make dinner for my daughter. This, this well, happens yeah. every week. So every week. I, I, I come straight from work, and uh, Isaac's always tapping the watch because, like, from sort of six o'clock, he gets very antsy. Once o'clock hits six, <laughs> well, I he fast. Din -dins at I like fast all day, so he gets to <laughs> yeah. six o'clock. I'm like, come on. I start yeah. white knuckling it, <laughs> and the conversation turns and, uh, to shit. The podcast gets wrapped up. Savvy, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate your time. Where can people find Thanks you? Thanks so much, man. Um, I've got a website, which is thesamisha.com. I used to have samisha.com, but I, I forgot to renew it, and someone else took it. So now oh, I, have the, I have the Samisha, which is S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H.com. I'm on Twitter with at Samisha as well. Uh, and I've got a podcast. It's called News Weekly, but it's spelled W-E-A-K-L-Y. That's my big pun. And it's a weekly <laughs> news satire podcast I do. It's like 15 minutes of like properly researched jokes about the news so um, like the opposite of I, 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 like. I write some new satire up here in newcastle as well but mine's the opposite it is not at all researched or <laughs> yeah, properly yeah. written so no yeah. i'm trying to do a thing where i'm like you know it, it should be journalistic and also a new satire thing so it's awesome. an experiment i'm doing but yeah that's available uh, on the pods otherwise yeah i'm around there you go. Maybe you should start actually having a go. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, fair I'm not prepared to do the work like Sammy is. Thank you, Sammy. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks All the very, very much, best. man. Cheers. Thanks, mate.
<laughs> Sorry. Oh, we're still going. Stop giggling. <laughs> we're just just being a super professional. Sorry. Getting re- this is this is just another I'm gonna wrap example. the show up. I can't just go, see you later, and oh. then disappear. People want to know how I am. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All the very best. We'll see you next week. And uh Remember, if you want to join the Patreon, it's a dollar a month. That's 25 cents a week and you get access to the live podcast. Now, there was no live podcast this week because- What was my- the go? Dodo internet or something? Nah, fucking- You're still on dial up out here. Um, the <laughs> fucking internet, they send out a thing saying, oh, unscheduled maintenance. So uh, we, we didn't think that the hotspot would carry. Uh, it could do Zoom, it couldn't do the live stream or do they both rather. a dollar a month, they can get the shitty signal. Suck, suck a fat one. Right? That's how I'm going to end this show. Um, what do you think very interesting combo right uh legend very very clever uh well thought out dude not yeah not what we do here we don't no. think he seems like he put a lot of thought into the points that he made um not generally what i like to do like no, just sort no, of no, shoot first ask questions later as they say yeah no, it's, it's, uh, great it's very russian attitude yeah, um, yeah it's yeah, um yeah. no great it was guy. good to talk to him and yeah. he it, it was funny listening to him talk about me now as he's got to know me yeah well it's, it's it was the whole point of that Conversation sort of was like yeah. how, how your perspective on something can change people when, once ideas, you have a conversation, all and, that shit, and get to so, know get to know someone, even a big racist like you. So, <laughs> so the, the the lesson from that is don't be on the right, don't be on the left, be in the middle, stop being a fuckwit, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Be a good motherfucker. Peace in the middle. Leaves me dick stings. Do the law of well. Bye bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.